And as we uh, continue in, in worship together, if you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to look at one verse this morning. A verse I would imagine is probably well known, but if not, you, I'm sure you've heard it before. Verse 31. And as you're turning there, I want to take a moment and just simply say thank you to our elders. Uh, last Sunday, uh, it is true, my wife and I, along with the Lung family, had an opportunity to go to Alaska, and we went. And it was fun. It was good. We came back sick, but praise the Lord at the end of it. Thank you, Brian. Uh, but I'm very thankful that I know Jack had, had offered to step into the pulpit as an elder and uh, bear that responsibility, and uh, Dr. Phil stepped into administering the elements and communion, and of course Ken was involved with that as well, and I'm just thankful that God is raising up men to lead in the church as he has designed. And I also want to say a special thank you to Jake who led the worship, and I know he's feeling under the weather, not with us this morning. Um, but it is, it is wonderful that um, we, I can, my wife and I can step out and know God. It, that sounds very arrogant, doesn't it? God's church will fall apart if I'm not there. That's not the case at all. I'm just thankful that um, the opportunity to, to step out and, and know that his church will continue. That's a great comfort. Well, as I mentioned, my wife and I got a chance to go to Alaska. And if you've ever been there, um, it's quite a state. I felt like we traveled a lot of it, and you look on a map, and it's like we, we covered like a, you know, a centimeter compared to the state. It's just in a ginormous state. Uh, it is true, you can fit Texas in there two and a half times. That's what they told us. Uh, it's pretty big. Um, it's a big state. But there were moments, and I, I say that just simply because there were moments that, um, I don't know if you have this in creation. I look upon God's creation. I'm overwhelmed. And you see some of these mountains and the ocean. If you have that, you go to the ocean, the mountains. I know sometimes in, in the Central Valley, we're not always moved to go, wow, look what God created here. Um, maybe it does for you, I don't know. But the mountains and the ocean do that for me quite quickly. You just get overwhelmed at the might and majesty. You know, God speaks and these things are in existence. Um, and I, was, I had moments of being overwhelmed at this. And I thought about coming back. I know I had a short week. And I wanted to look just at a verse to edify the, the body and to encourage the body. And I know the 4th of July is, is, you know, we're talking about freedom. And I just thought, you know, it would be good for us to think about what God has done, not only in our nation, in our lives, in creation, in providence, and in redemption, and we should be these people marked out by this verse that whatever we do, wherever we go, uh, whatever we say, whatever we might be uh, actively pursuing or actively doing, we would be marked as those people who are simply desire to glorify God. John Glenn, when he was on the space shuttle Discovery, when he was looking out the window, when he got to space, he had this moment and he, as he looked upon the earth as a globe, he said, it is, um, it is quite amazing to me that people would still deny uh, that there is a God. He went on to say that this kind of creation, looking at the globe from space at earth and saying, it's just simply impossible to, not to believe in God. 
I think sometimes when, when we go about creation and we go about the mountains, and hopefully you have those moments of just, we are small people compared to this giant earth. And yet God has so designed this earth that you and I could live in it. The right amount of nitrogen and oxygen, if we had too much oxygen, we would die. A little less, we die. And we're designed this way. The sun being 93 million miles from the earth is, gives us these moments in the valley where it's 109 degrees. See that smile? Because going to be thankful. But with that heat, what do we get in, in our fruits? We get great sugar content, don't we? And the trees produce all these things. We know this is uh, a created world. And the Christian sees this, and there should be moments where we're just overwhelmed. And yet, even when I'm in, in Alaska and we are walking around Anchorage, you see, and of course, any, any moments or, or places you go in our culture, uh, you see the, the amount of people who simply cannot and will not acknowledge God. I have these moments where I think to myself, you walk around, or walking around and seeing uh, the... the Allegiant flag, the, the rainbow flag, which really should represent the Noahic covenant, that God will not flood the earth again. Thank you, Lord. Uh, but they have stolen that, and you see that placed everywhere in people's allegiance to this. And standing in places such as Alaska. We see the lostness of of men, of sin, the damages of sin. But we could take that question, and I know we're busy people, and we go about our, our schedules, and we go about our things, but how often have you been moved and overwhelmed that, that God has so created you uniquely, there's no one else like you, and he's placed you in such a time and place as this, and that the very breath that you're breathing right now is a gift of God, and he has extended wonderful amounts of grace into your life, whether you see it or not, because every soul living is created and Bears the image of God. You represent God everywhere you go. And Paul, in this verse we'll read here in a moment, is pretty much proclaiming that. There's no such thing as secular in Paul's mind because the Christian brings the sacred everywhere he, she goes. So we need to be those marked out. I know 4th of July is Tuesday. We're going to be thinking, I hope you'll be praising God uh, for our freedoms that we have in America and maybe praying that we would continue to have those freedoms because we see that they might be in jeopardy. That we'd have, uh, but not just on the 4th. We should be moved with those things throughout our lives. And it's easy, I know, to lose sight of it when the schedule kicks in. But we see in this passage that um, Paul's drive is to say, don't let the schedule stop you from glorifying. Bring the glory of God to your schedule, whatever you do. And the verse is simply this, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 10, verse 31, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Let me offer a brief prayer. Father, as we look at this simple passage, this one verse, 
uh, this morning, I pray that you would open it up to us. Not just simply the meaning of it, that we'd have knowledge, but that we would see it lived out in our lives, that we would see it growing and moving in us to, to work on our sanctification, and to work on our obedience, to be those who are spiritually minded, those who have eyes fixed upon Christ as we run this race. So I pray, Lord, by your Spirit, you would open this to us, that we would see it, that we'd be people marked radically different because we, we know Christ and we follow Christ. So I pray you'd bless this time. I pray you'd get me out of the way and that your spirit would instruct us now. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we look at this verse, it's a nice, wonderful, short verse. And I know what you're thinking. We're going to get out of here quick. Right? You shouldn't be thinking that now at all. But I want to begin. The, the, the Westminster Shorty Catechism the very first question to that catechism, which means question and answer, asks this question, what is man's primary purpose? What a great question. What is your primary purpose? What is the Christian's primary purpose? Even though they're not focusing on the Christian per se, they're just saying, what is every soul's primary purpose? What would you, wasn't that, that's a great question. And the answer is succinctly by saying to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Your primary purpose is to glorify God. God, the creator of all things, created you to bring glory to Himself. And you are to glorify Him. And you're filled and trade, your work, your abilities, your talents. Everywhere you go, what you do, we are to glorify Him and to enjoy Him. Walk with Him humbly. Trust Him. Have faith in him. It is uh, absurd to think, right, as many have to do today, uh, to live in this world and imbibe the ideas such as evolution, to think that all of this came from nothing. Uh, they can't quite answer that because there is a designer. And of course, they won't accept the fact that there is a designer, there is a creator. And so we see in our culture many, even though they are souls made in the image of God, who will not direct glory to God. They will not glorify Him because they will not acknowledge Him. You and I are created, we bear this image. Men and women, it, we were made in the image of God. We are to reflect and to uh, shine that forward, proclaim that, glorify God and who we are, and yet sin, that moment of sin, has taken all of that, tarnished that, and now the real struggle for you and I, even as believers full of His Spirit, will be tempted to not focus and glorify God, but rather glorify something else, or maybe even ourselves. For the world, we see a self-centeredness. We see an allegiance to things contrary to, to Scripture, contrary to Christ. And this becomes the struggle. 
So in this, three simple points. I just want to uh, look at this thing. The first, my first point is simply this. When Paul says, uh, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God, it is clear that Paul is writing to believers. He's writing to the Corinthian church. And it's only a redeemed life that can actively glorify God. Now we must understand that God is glorious and glorified unto himself. He does not need anyone or anything. God is, he is self-glorified, if you will. He doesn't need us. He doesn't, there's nothing there where God ceases to be glorified if we're not there. He is, and God will be glorified. But in our lives, as we live this life, to actively live in a way that brings glory, to have right motive and, and dedication and focus and all the things that, that come from the Christian mind as we consider others greater than ourselves, it's only those who are redeemed, who love Jesus, who are going to actively glorify God, even though God will bring about glory unto himself and those who are not saved. So Paul, in essence, here is speaking the elements of conversion. In the passage, the context of the passage, there are those who are struggling with meat sacrificed to idols and, and should we eat that? And Paul is dealing with that. And he's saying, hey, it's okay if you, your conscience is free and, and you can go and you got a good deal, a good sell on that meat because they had a big sacrifice. And you know it's not, you're not partaking in any of that, but you got a good sell price on some good meat, on a good filet here, you're free to eat it. But if your brother is struggling with that, uh, there are many who have been redeemed from that pagan lifestyle, and for you to eat that meat in front of them is a real struggle for them. Paul says you should abstain from eating it in front of them. It's not about your conscience or getting your way. It's about the glory of God. It's about loving God first and foremost, and right, your brother, your neighbor as yourself. And this is what Paul is unfolding for us. And in this verse, this one verse, he speaks to salvation. A believer is going to be concerned about God. We're going to be concerned about glorifying God. We should have a desire in us that we want to see God praised and worshipped. We want to see God magnified. See, the believer, like Jesus said, we acknowledge that if you're not with God, you're against him. There's no gray area. Jesus said, he who is not with me is against me. There's no gray area. So we're with Christ and we want to be those who are, who are focusing upon Christ. We must be redeemed if we're going to glorify God. Paul says it like this in Romans 8.8, 8, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So Paul is speaking in this to the Corinthians Right, a maturity, a, a salvation, a, a sanctification, a working out of our salvation in a practical way. Whatever you do, whether you're eating meat that has been sacrificed or not, don't uh, cause your brother to stumble. If you're doing common things, he brings the idea of, of even these common things that you do every day bring about the glory of God. Have a mind that's fixed on heaven. Have eyes that are fixed on Christ as you do these menial things. Paul also suggests to us that there is singular one person who is to be glorified. 
It is God. You know, today in our culture, God is used for a lot of different things. Paul is speaking specifically of the God of the Bible. I think many today like the idea of grace. We love grace, absolutely, and I'm with you with that. But we've abused that to the point of saying we can worship God any, way, any which way we want. No, God tells us how he wants to be worshipped. And that's coming under the authority of his word. See, we are to, as Christians, to love the Lord our God with our hearts, all our hearts, all our soul, all our mind, and with all our strength, all that we are. It is a priority. The second is our neighbor as ourselves. So we are to, to glorify God according to his word. We are to love him the way he says, this is how you love me. This is how we follow him. Uh, we need to take note of, of his word and study his word. When, when the voice of heaven comes and says, this is my beloved son, follow him, listen to him, we should be perking up and going, we better pay attention to Jesus. Uh, we better be doing what Jesus says. We better be following what his word teaches us and what he wants from us. Because in that we learn as the Westminster Confession touches on, how do I enjoy God? I enjoy by having his peace, his presence, knowing that I can walk humbly with him, knowing that I can, I can bow my head and, and cry out to my God and know that he hears. How do I know that? It's, it's in his word. I pray his purposes his word tells me he listens. So we must be those marked out the desire to know God. So we must be seeking him in our devotional life, our prayer life, right through services. We must not neglect the Lord's day worship. We must come together. And God is, is calling us to this. And this should not be um, something that is um, there's a word there. It's not coming to me. Something that is not uncommon. We'll go with that one. Something out of the ordinary. Something uh, too much for us to do. I think it's important for us that we be marked as those who want to glorify God, not just on one day out of seven. I think there's something suspicious about that person who looks good on the Lord's day and looks a little different the rest of the week. I also think there's something suspicious if we worship God six of the seven days and we look a little suspicious on the seventh. We should be those all the time. And this is what Paul is saying. Bring the glory of God, according to his word, to every element of your life. We must also be prepared in our walk with the Lord to do hard things. I think we must come. If we're going to honestly glorify him, we must come to what God says about sin. We must call those things the Bible calls sin. We must call it sin. There is a reason Jesus is called Savior. He saves us from what? Sins. There are real sins that separate us from God. And we must not uh, dilly-dally, if you want to use that. There's the technical term. There's Greek for that. right? We must not take lightly what the Bible says about sin. As I mentioned, we had an opportunity to go to Alaska. I was in Anchorage, and I was on my phone. You think you're in Alaska on your phone. Good job, Pastor Tyson. But we were in the hotel, and it was 10 o'clock at night, and, and it's light out, and, but there's not people out. It's the weirdest thing. 
And so I'm looking at this video. I noticed, I, I follow John Harris a little bit, his, his, his podcast. And he, in, in the past, has interviewed Dr. Russell Fuller. Uh, he was uh, a professor at Southern Seminary. Taught for 22 years. He was a Hebrew um, scholar and Old Testament scholar. And there was this video, half-hour video, and he's talking about his testimony. And I thought this would be really interesting. The testimony pertained to his time at Southern. So I thought, well, that's really good. I got five minutes into this, and my jaw is already on the ground. He said there was a moment, and he was talking about being in, in Dr. Albert uh, Moeller's office, and he is the president of the seminary. And Moeller asked them this question, when did you lose confidence in me? And Dr. Uh, Fuller responded and said, when, when you were uh, uh, undecided on sexual orientation. Moeller has kind of flip-flopped. He won't come down and, and honestly pick a side. Now, we know as Christians that uh, to say someone is born as a homosexual is, is, is incorrect. We say that is what? It's sin. And Dr. Moeller could not come to that conclusion. And so Dr. Russell pressed him a little bit and said uh, to him, is there, you know, if there's a, a sexual orientation, he said, then is there an orientation for thieves? And Dr. Moeller's response was, yes. He went on and said, is there an orientation for adulterers? To which Moeller's response was, yes. And in this, this clip, Dr. Fuller says, I listed a few other things, and it continued to say yes. And then he said, I, you know, he mentioned, I spoke to Moeller and said, why don't you just call this a sin nature? To which he said, Dr. Moeller just blew up at me. So you watch this clip. If you're interested, I'll send you the link. You can watch it. My jaw's on the ground. Moeller was a huge hero of mine. Learned a lot of things about him. But what's sad to me is he mentions at the end of this that there, he has since been fired. And many of, the, of those who stood for truth at that seminary had been fired, let go. But he said that there was a student who came to him and told him that on the campus of Southern Seminary there have been men holding hands, outwardly acknowledging homosexuality. And so we come to this moment where we have to go, well, if we're going to deny what God's Word says about sin, and there's no way we can glorify him when he says this is sin. And the other thing we learn there is sin doesn't, if we compromise here, it grows. So for us, we have to come back and say, well, this is, this is what God's word says about sin. And we're not helping anyone when they come to the end of their lives. And we know, as Paul has told us, we will stand before our Creator. What good will it do then to compromise sin now at that moment? Nothing. And eternity is in the balance. So Dr. Moeller is denying the glory of God. The Bible is replete as it speaks to sin 
It calls it as crooked instead of straight. Deuteronomy, Proverbs, Isaiah. It speaks it as being rebellion against God. Joshua, 1 Samuel, Proverbs. It speaks it as being disobedience. Deuteronomy, Proverbs, Romans, Ephesians, Colossians. It speaks it as being unbelief. The Bible is clear. So we must be, if we're redeemed, and our desire is to do this verse, live this verse, and to do all for the glory of God, we must have a conviction about what the Bible says is sin. It does not mean we will be perfect. It means that we will have a heart ready to repent and confess. It also speaks to our motives that whatever we do, wherever we go, how we go about things are important. Sometimes we do things simply to look good, but inside we know we want, we want others to see us do those things. So we want to have a right motive. Glorifying God is, is to do things the way that God is pleased. That, that conversation and prayer that you have with your heavenly Father is to know, I don't want any glory from this, God. I want you to be glorified in it. Our motives even matter. And the last little sub-point of this is we have to realize that as believers, when we, when we bring the glory of God, when we bring the sacred to every secular kind of thing that we might be involved with, is that we will influence positively those that we come in contact with. See, when we love the Lord your God as that greatest command with our hearts and our soul and our mind and our strength, well, the other one is naturally attached with it. As you live your life, you will also love your neighbor as yourself. If you love and desire to glorify God, you will not, not, double negative, right, be able to not love your neighbor. However, the reverse is also true. If it is not your desire to glorify God, it will show itself in your relationships. So here, Paul is speaking in this simple verse. He's speaking to conversion. So the question for us, are you saved? Have you come to Calvary? Is this a, a growing conviction in you? Paul is not saying, hey, perfectly do this every time or I'm going to follow you around and slap you on the, sat on the back of your head. He's not saying any of that. He's saying this, right? Are you concerned about the glory of God? Are you concerned to the point where you'll bring the glory to the, to the menial things of your life? Whether I sit down and I'm eating and drinking, will you bring God's glory to that? Will your motives be pure? Will you say, you know what, I'm going to do it according to his word. I'm not going to say I'll glorify God. This is what, uh, or how I'll go about it. But according to his word. That's what Paul is saying in a very simple, whatever you do. So we see this, right? The redeemed actively can do this. The non-redeemed have no desire for this. The second point I just want to make mention of is a redeemed life, right, as someone who's redeemed, makes God's glory a supreme duty. He says, do all. Do all. This exhortation parallels Paul's command back in chapter 6, verse 20, regarding sexual immorality. Be pure. It seems that Dr. Moeller is the thing he can't figure out. 
do all is an imperative command to everything. Paul is, is not simply saying just when you eat and drink. He's just talking about in context what he's dealing with, common things. He is saying wherever you go, whatever word you speak, wherever you exist in life, do those things for the glory of God. It means in our theological thinking and understanding, we must continue to bring our thoughts under the authority of God's word. We should have a desire to live God's word. It should be growing in us. So today I think the struggle here is uh, we have a tendency to make ourselves the highest goal. And that might be a, a fine line at times. We, we do enjoy self-improvement, growth, and grace. We, we like to increase our physical strength, our mental strength, our spiritual health. All these things are good things, but they're not the supreme duty. We might make others the object. It's easy for parents and children or grandparents and grandchildren. Sometimes we focus on those things and those people. And, and it's not to say that's, that's bad, but that's not the supreme duty. How you love them, how you love yourself is, are we glorifying God? God alone is to be the focus. He is our devotion. We are to seek first his kingdom. His glory. So I want to just point out under this point a few things that this is you're seeking God's glory. It is a reasonable. It absolutely is reasonable. God has spoken, and I have that moment of standing in Alaska. Whether you're standing in Alaska, I have never been to Hawaii. I hear it's, it's lovely. I don't know if it's. I don't know. I hear it is. Some of you are like, oh, it's nice. Yeah. I stand in the Central Valley, California. All these are created, right? God spoke and created all of these things. To, to simply say, well, I'm not going to live for God's glory is really for the Christian uh, may bring us back to Calvary and say, are you really saved? God isn't asking something of us to say, well, you know, this is something special. No, this is quite reasonable of God to, to create us for his glory because he is the creator. He's made all things. Set it in its place. Uh, he made the mountains. You know, we were in Denali National Park, and there is a mountain there, 20,000 feet. I think it's Mount Denali. And 30% and of the year, it does, or 70% of the year, it doesn't show itself because it has its own uh, uh, environment, its own cloud system up there. Uh, so it doesn't show itself. But the morning we were there, it did. Now let me ask you, do you think we saw it? No, we slept in that morning. We didn't see it. Isn't that funny? We're in Alaska and it shows itself only 30% of the year. I didn't feel bad. I, I met a gentleman later. We were talking to him and uh, he was there. I saw it. I took a picture. And I'm like, what did it look like? It's, he goes, it's just like a snow-capped mountain. That's about it. And I am thought, eh, I've seen those before. But it doesn't matter. God created all of this. Right? Is it unreasonable for you to be created by God, to enjoy the breath he's given you, to, to respond and say, let's, let's glorify him? No, it's not unreasonable. We actually even see that it's beneficial. We will be blessing those around us. 
Uh, if you're seeking God's glory in your life, if you're living this way to, to be honoring, do you not think that will affect your spouse, your children? If you're in the workplace and your focus is to live a life that's glorifying to God, do you not think your coworkers will appreciate it? Now again, the flip is also true. If that's not your heart, well, clearly it will affect others. So it's beneficial. It also produces joy. It produces joy. You know, often in our, in our spiritual walk, we meander. Sometimes you may feel this. You feel like the Israelites in the wilderness. Maybe you're unfocused or just seem like we're going in circles at times. But this gives purpose and meaning to everything we do. Sometimes we think in our, in our spiritual walk, I cannot do great things for God unless I go to the mission field. Unless I'm called to full-time ministry. Unless I, whatever that might be. But Paul here is bringing right, the glory of God to the menial things that you do. That you do every day. What joy that brings to some validation of who we are. God is mindful of us, isn't he? I can glorify God in my life. Yes. We glorify Him by seeking Him, praising Him, worshiping Him. We glorify Him by acknowledging Him, thanking Him, by loving Him, by serving Him, by delighting in Him. Lord, thank You You made me. Lord, thank You for this moment that we can be together as a church family. Lord, thank You. So we see it takes the redeemed life to glorify God. It's our duty. It's our supreme duty. It's not outrageous. It's beneficial. It's good. It brings joy. It brings and resonates uh, purpose and meaning. And my last point simply here is the redeemed life involves God's glory in every aspect. Kind of touched on this already, but he says, whatever you do, whatever you do, everything, all containing. Paul brings in this the reality that there are no non-spiritual acts. Where you go, what you do is a spiritual act. We glorify God. There was a story of a man named George Herbert. He was a gifted 17th century English poet. And at one point in his life, he wasn't sure he, wa what, uh, excuse me, he wasn't sure he wanted to do what God wanted him to do. Being the pastor of a church didn't appeal to him, even though he sensed God was directing him to that vocation. He hesitated because he felt he would have to give up too much. After a time, as he said, of rebellious struggle, he came to realize that submitting to Christ's lordship 
is the way out of self-centered bondage and opens the door to authentic freedom and fulfillment. He came to realize that serving the Savior does not usually entail heroic martyrdom, although it might. Rather, it is the willing and worshipful performance of the most menial tasks for His glory. Menial tasks when we do it for His glory. Many of us may feel that since we're not in full time or on the mission field or whatever, have some extravagant calling that this doesn't pertain to us, I, my response to that is wake up, Christian. You are in ministry. You are an ambassador to the King of Kings everywhere you go. You bring heaven to that situation. You are the hands and feet of Christ. That's why Paul will say in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. You represent Christ. You bring that to this. And when we bring God's glory to every situation, you bring the sacred to the secular, to the everyday activities become opportunities to glorify God. If we were to think on this a little bit, how different our world would be if, if people took this to heart and said, you know what, whatever I do today, uh, beginning each day with maybe that, that verse in your prayer, uh, whatever I do today, Lord, let me do it for your glory. How different would the Lord's church be when we come to this and say, I want to glorify you according to your word I don't want to make things up or worship you the way I want to worship. I want to worship you the way you say you want to be worshipped. I want to glorify you the way you want to be glorified. I think we would see a strangely different world a little bit if we took this to heart. Sometimes we lose sight of those things. There was a story of of a famous musician. He was a conductor, Arturo Toscanini. And his son was asked about his father, who was this great conductor, and about his greatest achievement. What's your father's greatest achievement? And the son replied, for him there can be no such thing. Whatever he happens to be doing at any moment is the biggest undertaking in his life whether he is conducting a symphony or peeling an orange. I think there's some truth. There's a right attitude there for Christians. Whether I'm doing something I think is great for the kingdom or I'm simply peeling an orange, I can do it all for the glory of God and know that he is well pleased. When we can pause and look at his creation and Lord say, thank you for creating this. Lord, thank you for giving me life now in such a time as this. Thank you for giving me church brothers and sisters that will walk with me and I with them through thick and thin where we stand for Jesus. Lord, thank you for giving, giving us a fellowship of believers that desire to hear your word, to have it opened, to learn about it, to be around those who will encourage me when I want to throw down the cross and not pick it up and follow you, where I can be those uh, hands and feet to others to encourage them and stand with them. Thank you, Lord, that we live in California.
Some of you are like, I don't know. That's that. But he has placed us here, not just in California, but in the Central Valley, California. Not just the Central Valley, California. He put us here. Here. God, thank you. Thank you that we're here. Thank you that I can smile and laugh with my brothers and sisters. That we can have joy even in the midst of tears. Because you are God. You have created us. And that I know, Lord, from your word, that I bring glory to your name when I seriously humble myself and I confess my sin. I know I glorify your name when I bear spiritual fruit in my life. I know I glorify your name when I stand for truth. I know I glorify your name when I labor in evangelism, when I tell others about you. I know I glorify you in a high degree when I stand with or suffer for those who stand with Jesus. I know I glorify you when I am content with how you've made me, where you've placed me. Or I can say at the bottom of my heart, Lord, thank you. There was a practice of some believers in Ireland many centuries ago who tried to grab hold of this element of trusting and glorifying the Lord throughout their day. They would wake up in the morning with that right prayer, Lord, let me glorify you today. They would consume their thoughts the best they could throughout the day, praying for others, having that Ephesians 6.18 mindset to pray at all times with all kinds of prayer. Pray for others. Let me encourage others. And when the day ended, they would call upon the Lord yet again. Lord, as I lay down, I know you are with me. See, this doctrine speaks to every area of your life. It speaks to Christians who profess Jesus that where you go, what you do, you bring the glory of God with you. You're the ambassador, you're the representative. And whether you, as an ambassador of Christ, are eating or drinking, you be sure that that Savior you represent, that you glorify his name because you know he's worthy. He is the one who came down and went to that cross. He's the one who was innocent yet marked among thieves. He was the one who cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is the one who took our sin upon his body. And we as believers, we, we know he is worthy. And as an ambassador to Christ, let us be those who are marked out, who would actively glorify God in the menial things and the big things, the small things. We look upon our nation and praise God for our freedoms. We look upon the mountains and the oceans and say, Lord, thank you, you are good. We look upon the fruit trees that relish in these hot temperatures because you know there's a moment you're going to bite into a peach or a plum or something or have a peach cobbler. 
right? And you're going to just praise the Lord. All that comes back that God is good and he is, He's a loving God and He has sent His Son. And if we've been to Calvary, we know He is worthy. So let us be those marked as a supreme duty. Let's glorify God in all that we do, every aspect of our lives. We're going to close by singing this song. And it's a song that I think brings us to tears. We sing it almost. Is He worthy? The believer knows he is. The non-believer doesn't. And Dr. Moeller should know better. The chorus, the last chorus says, listen to these words. Is, he, is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break this seal and open the scroll? The lion of Judah. See, I can't even read it. Conquered the grave. He is David's root, the lamb who died to ransom the slave from every people and tribe, every nation and tongue. He has made us a kingdom of priests to God to reign with the Son. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Is he worthy of this? Yes, he is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this moment in American history where we look back to our founding fathers who, who looked to you and made this nation. Thank you for our freedoms. As Christians, Lord, we look back to Calvary and say thank you for our freedom. And we know, Lord, um, our lives often don't reflect, don't even come close to reflecting glory to others about you. We often struggle. So I pray for each of us this morning that as we think about the good things in our nation and in creation and in providence and especially in redemption, that we would, by the power of your Spirit, bring just the right motive and attitude to glorify you in all that we do. And that we would realize you are worthy. That you are worthy. And that's, Lord, all we need. We should be those marked out as living lives to bring you glory because you're worthy. So, Lord, whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, whatever we do, let us be those who bring you glory. Guide us that way. Let, let this verse just take deep root in our hearts and our souls. Let not the evil one come and steal any of it but that we would be mindful of the, the mundane things we do and to realize that we bring uh, the sacred uh, to those moments. You don't forget about us. You haven't forgotten about us. You've placed us here. Lord, thank you. 
And Lord, as we close in a song, I just simply ask that you would bring all of this to, to a wonderful truth and proclamation as we proclaim our Savior is worthy. We thank you, Lord. We love you. And we, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.